So what are the most ridiculous coronavirus conspiracy theories that you've heard so far? Is it that COVID-19 is a bioweapon? Have you heard that one? Or was that it was designed in a lab to make rich people even more rich? Or have you heard the one that says it arrived from space via a meteorite? Or what about the one that says it isn't a virus at all, but in fact, it is the effect of 5G towers? Or whether or not these theories make you smile, wince, groan, or scratch your head, they point out something about us as people. And what's that? It's that you and I as humans and everybody else, we all want to make sense of what does not make sense in our world. We search for the meaning when things go wrong. And this has been going on for centuries. Back in the first century in Luke chapter 13, 18 people died when a tower fell on them in the southern part of the city of Jerusalem. What does this mean is the question that people were asking when that happened. Now, the people don't say it, but Jesus hears it in their voices. See, he hears them saying, these 18 people, Jesus, they must have done something horrible for God to allow something so horrible to happen to them. So in their minds, extraordinary tragedy over here must signal extraordinary guilt over here. Now, Jesus's answer is a reminder that we as humans don't know why some things happen. Understanding deaths is a hard question, but thankfully Jesus doesn't dodge it. He says to them, of those, of those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, he says, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? He says, I tell you, no. Now, let me ask you this. Could Jesus have told them the meaning of this tragedy? Absolutely. We read that his followers in the Gospel of John in chapter 16 of that gospel said this about him. They said, we know, Jesus, that you know all things. And the only one then who could reveal the meaning of that tragic event was actually silent about it. So what does that say about his answer to the questions about the meaning of even this COVID moment? Will he tell us why many are dying and why so many are facing disruptions in their lives and their careers? Well, if his response to the crowd is anything to go by, his response says more about the solution to life's problems than it says about the meaning of the problems in the world. See, for Jesus, the tragic deaths in Luke chapter 13 were meant to serve as a wake-up call to the living. And that's why he says to the crowd, but unless you repent, he says, you too will all perish. Now, what's Jesus doing here in this moment? What he's doing is he's redirecting them away from the story of the 18 who were crushed. And why does he do that? See, God's interested in the meaning of their story, the people that are in the crowd, the story that's still being written. And that's why Jesus challenges them. 
He says, get your eyes off of these over here of trying to understand these deaths. What I want to know is what is it that you will do with your one wild, precious life? In a way, what Jesus is saying to them and saying to us now through the scriptures is this. You've got this moment and only God knows about what will happen to you in the moments yet to come. So his question is, how will you live it? I just said that his response to the crowd tells us more about the solution than it tells us anything about the meaning of the problems. And that's because God showed his mercy when he sent Jesus to earth. I love Zacharias, John the Baptist's father. And in his prophecy in chapter 1, verse 78, he calls Jesus the Messiah, the sunrise from on high. He says, as the sunrise, Jesus came to dawn and to shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. That Jesus came to give life to those who were living on the edge of dying. Let me ask you something. Do you believe that when things don't make sense, that God can make sense of them? That when life gets crazy, do you trust God to bring meaning from it all? See, you and I, we don't know exactly when our lives will end, but we have the testimony of Jesus, the only one who ever died and came back to life and lives today. And what is his advice? His advice is, don't try to understand the meaning of these things. Instead, turn from trusting in other things. Turn from trusting in your intelligence, trusting in your financial savings, trusting in that great network of relationships or your family, your good health, your ability to make money and earn a living, or your position. Turn from your inner strength, turn from them all, and turn to a new trusting in God. See, Jesus says to us like he says to his listeners in Luke 13, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. The most important matter is your own soul, says Jesus. So get right with God while there's still time. He doesn't have time to waste, he says, on the meaning of this tragedy because the meaning of their very lives is what is at stake right now. And so Jesus addresses the question behind the question. They want to figure out what happened to the 18 who stood beneath the falling tower, but what they really wanted to know, the real question, was about God. See, in their minds, God sent this allowed this tragic event to happen, and it was a way of sending a message. And they're thinking, if we can figure God out, then the next time something random happens and tragic happens, if we figure it out and figure God out, we'll not be there. We'll avoid the falling stones that come from above. And Jesus again says, quit worrying about what can kill your bodies. He said, I'm more concerned with your souls. But unless you repent, he said, you will all perish. What is perishing? Well, perishing is what happens to you when you don't have eternal life. We know this from John 3.16, from these words of Jesus that are so well known. For God so loved the world 
that whosoever believes on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. If it weren't for God's love and mercy, Jesus warns them, you could lose both your body and your soul. There are a lot of people trying to figure out this pandemic, as well as what is God up to in the midst of it. For some, it's a warning. For others, it's a sign. And for still others, it's punishment. You and I, we can't explain why. We can't explain why some people are experiencing a horrible end on earth, like we're seeing right now. What we can say is that we are no less needy than they were while they were alive. That you and I, we need God's mercy. And God in his mercy has given you and me another day to turn to him. And that's why we read in the Bible in Romans chapter 11, verses, verse 32, that God's intent throughout human history, whether it was with the Jews or with the non-Jews, the Gentiles, was always to show all people mercy. That no matter how dark and twisted the evil of people is, God's mercy is greater. I brought some marbles along here to talk to you about the things that I've done that are good and the things that I've done that are bad. So imagine that these are the bad things there. There's quite a few of them. And imagine that these are maybe some of the few good things that I've done. <laughs> well, I want you to think with me about those things. What are some things that you can look at that are personal and real that you can look back on? Maybe it's regrets. Things that, that are, we regret are often things that we, we wish we had a do-over. And they represent the bad stuff. And then there's the good stuff. Not much there, but the good stuff is what we put on our resume, what we might boast about in our heads, especially if someone speaks ill of us. We think, well, you don't know this about me, right? And they represent the good things we've done. You know, I'd like to think that there's a lot more good than bad in my life, so I'm going to actually add a lot more bad here to my pile just to show you <laughs> that my way of measuring myself is not like God's. And he sees a lot more that needs to be rescued. You know, I love it because God looks at this and he does not judge us by our worst moments. How many of us have not been at our best during this quarantine? Maybe we've lost patience with someone. We've even burned with anger. We've said something that we regret or told lies and acted selfishly and made everything about us. See, God doesn't judge that. Neither does he charge, neither does he judge just our best moments. How many of us have done something that we're proud of while sheltering in place? Maybe we look at this little piece here and we says, yeah, that, that's where I sacrificed <laughs> to help someone. And this one here is where I spoke up some words that built someone up. I made something for someone. I showed incredible restraint when my nerves were frayed. And maybe, well, this is a biggie for me. I chose when I was bored to do something helpful rather than get into mischief. Well, I want you to know that your life and mine is greater than our worst moments and our best moments. Because at the end of the day, 
there are no innocent human beings. No one's best moment is good enough. There is no one good. No, not one. We read in the Bible in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. And no one's worst moment is bad enough. See, God is so slow to anger that you and I, we can sit right where we are right now and have more, one more chance to repent, to turn. Now, we should not be, as much as we lament the deaths that have happened, we shouldn't be fixated on what was the meaning of them. The reality is that we're living with a level playing field where there are no winners or lo losers this side of judgment. Not yet. It's an all play this side of eternity because you and I, we have been spared. We've been given another day to repent. And that's why the Bible says today is the day to be rescued, to be made safe. And that's why Jesus says to the people in the crowd that we're trying to weigh out that bad of the people. They were looking at all that and they saying, is that what crushed them? Is that what crushed them? Was it that their bad outweighed their good? That the imbalance between their good and bad was so great that God judged it and it didn't, it didn't rise up to God's standards? See, what I think the people in the crowd were hoping was that they could figure out God. So that when they were weighed at the final judgment, they could say to themselves, well, look at my good outweighed my bad. And Jesus tells them that none of them could earn God's mercy by thinking that their good could outweigh their bad. No, he says, the sin of the 18 who died when the tower fell on them was not unusually horrible. <laughs> he said it was actually ordinarily horrible. He said it wasn't extraordinarily horrible, it was ordinary, which is exactly what you're dealing with the horrible that we all deal with. So listen to Jesus' words one more time from chapter 13 of the Gospel of Luke and think with me about how God, your God, my God, has provided a way of escape and it's called repentance. Those 18 who died when the tower fell in Siloam on them, he says, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now, I've never been in an escape room. Maybe you have. But I understand that it's a game in which a team of players work together to discover clues, solve puzzles, and complete tasks in one or more rooms in order to move forward and eventually reach a specific goal in a limited amount of time. And that goal is often to be able to escape from that site, the location of the game. Once that door is closed, as the clock starts ticking, the group focuses on that one goal. By working together, they try to get out on time. Well, God has provided a way of escape. We don't have to figure it out. But Jesus says, wake up. You have this moment. You may not have tomorrow. You don't know what's coming. And neither did those who've already gone ahead of you. He says, you're not going to be able to escape these current circumstances. You can't escape necessarily what's coming tomorrow, but I have provided a way of escape called repentance. So he says, turn from one way of living to another. Come and experience a greater freedom. A freedom that Jesus says he wants more than maybe we want or know that we want. 
And so whatever it is that's weighing you and weighing me down or that has a grip on us, you and I, we have a choice because we have this moment to not allow it to take a greater hold on us and have more power over, over us. That we have no reason to look any further for our escape route because God has already provided it. So we can turn over our hurts, our past, our fears, our lack of trust, our pride. We don't have to look any for it further. See, Jesus stood right in front of the people who were in desperate need of escape and told them that God had provided a way out. And so with Jesus right in front of us right now, who's got our attention, ask with me, Jesus, to show us that what we need to turn over to him, how we begin this process, and how we look to him for confidence and for trust to repent. Jesus' words may have felt harsh, they may have felt hard, but they were a reality check. It was a come to Jesus moment, literally. And I believe that's what this moment is too. So let's, you and me, take advantage of it and respond now while there's still light and time to repent and turn.